Hey, Devils fans, On the Line is a weekly auction series featuring unique Prudential Center and Devils items. Proceeds from the On the Line weekly auction series will benefit the Devils Care Foundation to help support its goal of providing life-changing opportunities for young people who live and play in New Jersey's most challenged neighborhoods. With a focus on community outreach, food assistance, and educational development. To bid on this week's item, visit NewJerseyDevils.com slash on the line. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Speak of the Devils podcast. I'm Chris Westcott, filling in for Matt Lachlan as your host this week, as Matt gets some much-needed, much-deserved time off. And, of course, we're being joined by our co-host, Amanda Stein, team reporter for the New Jersey Devils. Amanda, Matt abandoned us this week. Oh, I bet you he's playing golf. Something tells me Maddie is playing golf. <laughs> uh, much deserved for Maddie. He does so much for us. We're excited to take over today. We're excited about our guest today on our Speak of the Devils podcast. Mike Morial from NHL.com is going to join us shortly. Mike is awesome. I mean, I've gotten to know him over the last three. I've always um, read his work over many, many years. But over the last three years, I've really got to know him because he really does cover the Devils on a regular basis. So we spend a lot of time together. And I really don't think that there's a mind out there who knows the ins and outs of the prospects better than Mike does when it comes to the media side. I mean, he's just so in-depth. He asks so many good questions about these guys. So I'm really looking forward to you know, picking his brain about how he sees this very unusual draft unfold. Yeah, absolutely, Amanda. I, I'm right with you. I always put Mike up there, even before I actually got a chance to shake his hand and meet him in person. I've always put him up there with, you know, the Bob McKenzie's, Craig Buttons, uh, Ryan Kennedy's of the Hockey News of the World, because he does so much research into these guys. He can tell you their past history, their family connections, just these little cool factoids about these prospects that normally we wouldn't get just from reading prospect profiles. So as we keep doing research into the draft, I, I'm, I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, we lean on him a lot. I mean, I know he's one of the first, you know, I, he's one of the first mock drafts. I always Google right yeah. before the draft just to kind of get my bearing set on where these guys are going to land. I mean, and, and Amanda, you uh, have been writing, doing a lot of draft writing so far for NewJerseyDevils.com and myself and Catherine Bogart as well. We've been profiling some of these prospects so far. I mean, we're only a few in. But so far, are there any names that have stuck out to you that you've really enjoyed doing research on? So the last one that I did um, a profile on was Alexander Holtz. And it's funny because, you know, whenever I was tweeting about the draft, everyone say, oh, Alexander Holtz. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't know who this is. Like, I spend so much time <laughs> with the current roster. It, you know, I don't have all that time, but now I have plenty of time. Um, and he just seemed like such an interesting prospect in the way that he climbed up through the Swedish league and was able to play against, you know, the, the cliche of played against men when he was 18 years old. He was the second youngest guy on his team. He led all U18 players in the Swedish league uh, when it came to points. And so he's, he was very interesting to me, especially when I kept reading about how he's really probably one of, if not the best snipers uh, in this draft, especially in that first round. So to me, he's the name that thanks to the urging of all of our fans on Twitter, <laughs> I really went in deep into when I was doing my research and he sounds like a really exciting guy. So I'll be very interested to hear what Mike has to say about him. Absolutely. We'll ask him about Alexander Holtz, but also, you know, we haven't talked to him since the news that Lindy Ruff became head coach and that Tom Fitzgerald was taking over GM. So we're going to ask him about all of this big news that has happened with the New Jersey Devils over the past couple of weeks. Mike, pleasure having you on the podcast. How are you doing today? Hey, Chris. Hey, Amanda. It's uh, great to be on. Thanks for having me. It's been business as usual at NHL.com. We're just looking forward to return to play. we got training camps gearing up right now. We'll be heading to the uh, hub cities on the 26th and Edmonton and Toronto. So we're looking forward to that. Then we have phase two of the NHL draft lottery on the 10th. Uh, and then of course the NHL draft, but that's way. <laughs> so, uh, but of course you, and you both know, um, I very much looking forward to that as well. So what would you normally be doing at this time of year? Because everybody's schedule has been thrown upside down. Yeah, well, this is the time of year where I, I'd probably be cranking out some stories. Uh, those Maybe those longer read features on the Alexi Lafreniere's, the Quinton Byfields, those prospects that are at the top of the list, the Cole Perfetti's, Marco Rossi. And I'll tell you, Amanda, this draft, 
this draft is, you know, bountiful. There's a lot of good prospects here. And I know you've spoken to a lot of scouts and realize that. And it's true. I mean, this, I mean, as far as this draft, this is one of the best that I I can remember covering in quite some time, but um, yeah, I'd be pumping out those stories. Uh, It's always a lot of fun talking to the prospects because it's a whole new ball game as far as the storylines, the angles, uh, getting a feel for how the player is, what his upbringing was like, how he got involved in hockey. Obviously, there's some pedigree with some of these players as far as dads that played in the NHL or uh, maybe some cousins or uncles that played as well. Or maybe they have moms that were Olympic athletes or something along those lines. So it's a lot of fun getting to know these prospects. And that's usually what I would be doing at this time. Now, if the Devils were in the playoffs, of course, too, I'd be covering the Devils. And we all know that that's going to happen um, at some point. So I'll be covering the Devils this time for however long uh, they last in the playoffs. And then I'd shoot over to the draft. But in this case, this year, this time, um, I'm actually covering one of the series here that will be ongoing in the Stanley Cup qualifier while I'm doing uh, draft stories as well. So it's it's been a busy time. Chris, do well, we want to just jump right into draft coverage, or how well, do you want to go about it? You know, I was I was going to say, Amanda, like, we'll, we'll get to the draft. I think there's just so much to unpack there. But first, yeah. I mean, it's so nice to see your face, Mike, because we normally see you at Prudential Center, and that means hockey's ongoing. And now we see you here. So let's talk a little bit of hockey, because it's been a really a whirlwind two weeks here for the Devils organization, and we haven't had a chance to get your thoughts on the GM and the coaching hire of Tom Fitzgerald and Lindy Ruff. So can we just start there and let's uh, get your initial thoughts on that? Well, I think Lindy Ruff is a fantastic hire. I mean, obviously we know he's 60 years old to be the fourth oldest coach in the NHL here, but he'll be coaching the youngest team. And I think he's really looking forward to that challenge. Every time that I've spoken with him, look, Lindy's the type of coach who, who wants to use skills possessed by his players to own the puck, building a team that can dominate by way of speed and possession. At the same time, we all know he's a big proponent of defending, and that's something he wants each player to have a passion for in order to generate success as a team. I think on that call, uh, when he was first introduced, Amanda and Chris, two things kind of stood out to me. One, when he said that players are going to know that I'm going to have their back And at the same time, they're going to have to have my back. So right off the bat, you know, this is going to be a trust situation between Lindy and the players. I think the second thing, um, what I thought was kind of intriguing was, you know, a lot of times you can tell young players what you want to do, but most times they want to know, why do I have to do this? And that's a question he said, you know, he's had to answer most as a, not only a head coach, but as an assistant with the Rangers. And to be honest, you know, he's right on the mark with that comment because, uh, you know, that's a question former head coaches John Hines and Elaine Nazradeen had to continuously answer to their young team this year. And Ruff said the answer to that is, is you know, you, you, you need to benefit to do those things to benefit the success of the team. So um, it's not like young players don't know that, but I think sometimes it's a point that just needs to be driven home over and over again. Uh, by someone in authority, in particular a head coach of a hockey team. And I feel Ruff does bring that experience. It's funny that you mentioned the, you know, explaining to a player why he's being asked to do something. Because for me, that was one of the number, that was the number one thing that really stuck out, especially being around the Devils locker room for the last three years and knowing the types of players that are in there. And speaking to that, I mean, with your ability to know who Lindy Ruff is, you've seen his career, and you know what it's like in the Devils locker room. Is there a particular player on the Devils roster that you think can really benefit from working with Lindy? Well, that's a great question, Amanda. Let me first say that, you know, Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn, when Lindy coached in Dallas, they were good good players, but they never eclipsed 70 points until Ruff was their coach. Then they became that point-per-game player. Ben and Sagan both thrived offensively under Ruff, uh, you know, to the highest degree. And with guys like Nico Heeshear and Jack Hughes, those two need to get going offensively a little bit. We know what Nico has been able to do in, in three seasons. He's been outstanding. We know Jack just needs a little more nurturing, a little more development here with the club to get to where he wants to be. So I think that Lindy can maybe help a Nico Heeshear. He can help. Uh, a Jack Hughes gets the levels where they want to be. You know, 
Lindy told me when I asked him, you know, do you feel as though Jack's going to be an elite centerman in this game? And he said to me, yes. He goes, he certainly has the skill to do that. Yeah. But it's just a matter young players coming into the league, it takes two, three years. And I know, right, you get the first overall pick, and it's not like the NFL uh, or some other leagues where these top 10 picks come in and they can have immediate yeah. impact. Even a number one pick needs to develop and grow because it's a 17, 18-year-old kid, as was the case with Jack. And I think Lindy Ruff is the type of coach. And Tom Fitzgerald said this uh, on, the, on the conference call too. He's the type of coach that can enter a locker room, command the respect. The players know what he's all about, what he's been, to, been through as a player, what he has done as a coach, particularly in Buffalo when he led that team to a Stanley Cup. Um, to the Stanley Cup. They lost in the Cup final, but he did lead them there. Um, so there, there's a lot of respect there between player and coach. And I think that's the first thing uh, that, uh, you know, will have to take place. And uh, there'll be a plan in place, what Lindy wants to do whenever he does decide to hire his staff. But uh, I think for these young players, particularly uh, a Nico Heischer, uh, a Jack Hughes, you look at the Michael McLeods and, um, you know, the Devils have so many players – 23, eight, 23 years old or younger. So this is a young group, but I think Lindy Ruff is really up to the challenge and looking forward to it. You know, Mike you, and, and Amanda, you might agree with me on this, but I, I, I look back at the Edmonton Oilers situation with a young Leon Dreisaitl, and one of the things they said was he needed to give himself permission to perform at an elite level and compete with the stars of this league. And now, of course, you look at the production that he has here. I think of a guy like a Jack Hughes or a Nico Heischer might benefit from that mindset from their head coach of kind of not maybe loosening the reins as much, but giving them permission to be those offensive superstars to play in an attacking system. I think that that could be beneficial for some of those players. Absolutely. Uh, you know, when, when the Rangers hired Lindy under then head coach Elaine Vigneault, he worked predominantly with the defense and the penalty killing unit. But look what he did uh, with the defense there, right? Adam Fox. Adam Fox could have been, uh, you know, a called a trophy candidate or finalist this year. He was that productive. Jacob Truba came over from Winnipeg and has had a productive, had a productive season with the Rangers. And, and they expect him to be an impact player in the Stanley Cup qualifier. Anthony D'Angelo. Not a lot was said about Anthony and what he could bring to the table. When Ruck was there, all of a sudden you see his good qualities start to emerge on the blue line, on the, on the power play. And what he's been – that's what he was – that's what everyone thought he was capable of doing, his draft eligible year. But now you're, you started to see it with Lindy as his coach. And I think one of the things that really struck me too when I spoke to Lindy was the fact that, you know, when I asked him – did that experience, that three-season experience as an assistant with the Rangers help you in any way understand players, understand coaching maybe a little more? And he did say, you know what? Yeah, he goes, I never really had an opportunity to actually sit in a room and just talk about life with the young players. Talk about what's going on in their life. Because again, we go back to them being 17, 18 years old, and there's so much swirling on in their head. And they know deep down they want to perform. They want to do well. But sometimes it's just not there. And Ruff said that's an area where he wants to maybe work with these young players, ask them what's going on in their lives, maybe put hockey aside for 10 minutes and talk about life in general. I think that's really important. And I think he got that message with the Rangers, and now he'll bring that experience over to the Devils. It's going to be a, a real beneficial thing, not only for the Devils, but Lindy Ruff. Mike, I think you kind of answered my next question, but maybe you can elaborate a little bit more. But, you know, there are people who say, well, oh, his best days were 15 years ago when he was coaching the Buffalo Sabres. Why will he fit into the now of the NHL? You know, he made it to the conference finals and the Stanley Cup finals when he was in Buffalo so many years ago. So what, what would you tell fans that are maybe, I don't know if concerned is the right word, but bring up the fact that his best years were so many years ago. That's true. I mean, his best years uh, to this point were so many years ago, but I also feel as though that experience and what he was able to do with those clubs will certainly pay dividends yeah. and pay off for him with the Devils. Look, um, the Devils have seven players aged 23 or younger, like, like we talked about. You know, forwards like Joey Anderson, Jesper Bratt, we talked about Heischer and Hughes, McLeod, Zaka, even goalie Mackenzie Blackwood. All these guys will benefit 
listening to Lindy Ruff, listening to what he has to say. And I got to say, Amanda, Chris, you know, when I've spoken to Lindy as head coaches of other organizations uh, with the Buffalo Sabres and, and Dallas Stars, one of the things that struck me was not only is he, you know, he's a hands-on coach and he could be strict at times, but he's also on their side. And, and like I, that goes back to the, him having their back, right, having the players back. And, you know, I talked to him, too, about Capo Caco, who was obviously selected number two right behind Jack in 2019. You know, Ruff talked about the struggles of, of Caco, you know, when he was with the Rangers, how, how it's no different than any young 18-year-old player, including Jack. And it was the same type of struggles. But it's a matter of just getting him with the right personnel, the right people alongside him, giving him different options to help him succeed in this league. I think Lindy Ruff has the right mindset for a young team coming in, the experience he has. He knows what it takes to bring a, a team to the Stanley Cup. He's done it already. He did it, too, as an assistant coach with the Florida Panthers. So I think Lindy Ruff right now, perfect, perfect coach. It was a perfect decision by the Devils to bring him in. I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do with this roster. Two quick things before we move on from that thought. He did just have a 50-plus win season just four years ago in his last head coaching stop. So recency, he still has some success there. But also what you said about the ability to connect with the players and show them that you're on their side, a lot of the reason why Alain Nazardine had success with this roster in the back half of the season was that was more of his style. So now you're getting a guy that not only has that style, but the experience to go with it as well. Mike, I, I want to ask you about Tom Fitzgerald now. We already talked about Lindy Ruff. What, what do you think about him stepping into that full-time GM role? Yeah, I think, I think it was fantastic. You know, I, I think all of us can agree that Tom Fitzgerald certainly had to have been the number one candidate for this position. Um, I think the world of what he's done with, with the Devils at this time, you know, it was quite a lot. Let, let's face it, you know, Fitzy made five trades in eight days by the time the February 24th uh, trade deadline rolled around. And from talks with, with managing partners Josh Harris and David Blitzer, it was evident to me, and I'm sure you as well, you know, the full-time GM needed to be comfortable, you know, working with the ownership group, working with analytics. He needed to be aggressive in making moves to make the club competitive again right away. And, you know, Fitzy was checking all the boxes. And just for the work he did upon taking over as interim GM for, for Ray Shiro, uh, in January, Ray being his mentor. So he learned quite a lot. You know, I like what Fitzy was doing, you know, trading Coleman, Blake Coleman, who was a fan favorite. And that was a pretty bold decision because he was under contract the next season. He had become one of the team's most popular players, most effective players. But, you know, who knows uh, what kind of money Coleman's camp would have commanded. And the Devils got forward Nolan Foote, uh, who immediately becomes – the devil's second best uh, prospect, in my opinion, uh, among and probably the best prospect among the forward group. You know, a foot and Yanni Kwokinen, who was another prospect that Fitzy acquired in the, in the trade with Carolina for Sammy Vatnin. If they become NHL regulars for the Devils in the near future, you know, it could be remembered as a pretty significant haul in the longstanding rebuilding project. In addition to that, though, Amanda Chris, I like what Fitzy didn't do. You know, yeah. Kyle Parmeri was the name that came up, you know, the most in the lead up to the deadline as a popular target for contending clubs. But, you know, on the surface and what was apparent to all of us was that Palms fits to what the Devils want to do as an organization moving forward. Helping Nico, helping Jack, helping the other young prospects the Devils feel will come up and contribute. The McLeods, the Bastions, the Ty Smiths, the Nolan Foots, you know, and on top of all that, let's face it, uh, you know, Fitzy's played over 1,000 NHL games. He, like Ruff, know what it take to to lead a team, to get a team to the promised land, to get them to that point. Um, he was captain of the Nashville Predators, so he has that experience as a player. He has that experience in managerial and what he's done. Uh, alongside Ray Shearer for so many years in Pittsburgh and then to Jersey. So I think, uh, I think Tom Fitzgerald was, uh, was, the, was the right choice here. And I think moving forward, he's going to help this organization get to where they want to go. Had you ever seen an interim GM get so much opportunity like that? Because I remember that being, you know, really part of the dialogue as the end of the season was going, especially around the trade deadline. 
I mean, this managing partnership really had faith in Fitzy from the beginning. They did. They did. Uh, you can tell that, uh, you know, the day that they named him the interim coach, I still remember that, Amanda, standing beside you with that, you know, we were all kind of flustered. What is going on? And, and Tom was taking all the questions. He answered all the questions. I know Josh Harris was right by his side during that meeting. But Josh was putting his hand on Fitzy's shoulder, telling him, this is, this is the man. We, we really feel that this is the man for this job, which at the time was interim. But you can tell through things that were said uh, within the organization and from what Fitzy was saying, you got a feeling that he should have been and would be um, you know, the number one candidate for that job. And, and sure enough, that's what transpired here. They also say that you know, the way I liken it is a GM is the front door to your organization, right? They're the ones that are talking with the media. They're spreading your message. They're making uh, trades. They're uh, introducing themselves to new players. They're bringing people into your culture. From that aspect, as a communicator, I mean, you're a member of the media. You've talked with Fitzgerald. How does he strike you in terms of representing your organization on that scale? Yeah, I think he. I think he's done a fantastic job representing what the Devils want to do moving forward. I think um, whenever he needs to talk, and he's honest, you know, when you ask him about Jack Hughes, when you ask him about some of these young players, he doesn't give you those robotic answers that, you know, well, you know, they're young, they'll come along. And yes, he does say that, but he also says that this is a player that we expect to come along and do the things that we, you know, know he has the capability of doing down the road. And um, being honest, um, being humble about the position and what you're doing, I think are all clear signs that Tom Fitzgerald is the man for the job. And, you know, let's face it, you know, we got to give a little credit to, or maybe a lot of credit to Ray Shearer on what he was able to bring forth with this organization um, in the early stages of the rebuild and what he was able to do. I still remember when Ray came in and the team was 20 average and age of 30 years of age. And, and then in three years under Ray and Tom as his side, working side by side with him, they got down to that 26 years of age. Uh, so um, Ray did a fantastic job. Now Tom takes over. He has all those teachings of what Ray was able to, to tell him, but he also has his own ideas. And I think that's what we're all looking forward to seeing. Uh, Tom Fitzgerald put his stamp on this team, which he has already done leading up to the trade deadline. But now he has a draft to go through. He's got free agency to go through. So this is going to be Tom's team within the next three, four months for sure. All right. So you mentioned it, you know, Fitzy having to make all these decisions over the last few months. I would imagine one of the next big decisions for him is who goes at number seven uh, to the New Jersey Devils at the upcoming draft, even though it's a little bit of a ways away. And what we really want to talk to you about is this draft. So I want to start with how do you feel about how that number one spot is vacant? Number one spot in regards to what? In terms of the team. In terms of the team. Oh, um, so, you know, as far as the Devils getting the the number seven pick in this draft, I mean, you know, I would think that the Devils would want some type of forward position. Um, You know, I know that there are some real good defensemen in this draft, but I, I think with that first spot that the Devils have, which is number seven, They'll have an opportunity to get someone to rebuild um, at the wings. Um, obviously, they need someone to, to play with, with Nico and with Jack. And in that regard, when I look at what this draft board could give or could bring the Devils, you look like uh, two Swedish players right off the top of my head come to mind, and Alexander Holtz from Jurgården in the Swedish Hockey League. Um, you know, a left shot center. Real good foundation, goes about six foot, 192 pounds, a strong skater, can get a hard, accurate shot off from anywhere in the offensive zone. He led all 18 and under players in the Swedish Hockey League in points, tied for the league in goals. And the other kid I really like, too, is Lucas Raymond, who might fall on this spot. Lucas Raymond, you know, playing for Frölunda in the Swedish Hockey League. Now, when I mentioned Lucas Raymond on Twitter, I mean, a few of the Devils fans went little batty with me saying how could you how could you have a player you know a team selecting Lucas Raymond who's only scored you know 10 11 points in this but this is fans got to keep in mind this is the sweet this is the highest level of hockey in Sweden and he's 18 years old 
And Frolunda was a stacked team. This was a good team. Frolunda's a team, um, you know, of course, that Rasmus Dahlin played for a couple of years ago when Buffalo selected him number one overall. So they were loaded up front. But Lucas Raymond, to me, Amanda, has the skill of an Artemi, Artemi Panarin, a, a player of that magnitude. I and mean, I've seen it at certain levels and internationally what he's been able to do. He's got a great intensity, excellent vision. When I watch Lucas Raymond and, and the prospects of maybe he and, and Jack playing together, it really excites me. Uh, Raymond has that great wrist shot, a good nose for the net, tremendous asset on the power play and the penalty kill. This kid is is a shorthanded goal waiting to happen every time he's on the ice with the man disadvantage. And, you know, I like what he has has to bring. And, and he's another player, uh, another forward in this regard. And, and, and there are quite a few good forwards in this draft that I feel the Devils might have a shot at with the, with the number seven pick. So I think Something. it was on me. I phrased it. I don't think my phrasing was correct. What I really meant was is having that number one overall pick vacant right now in terms of the team how do you feel about the way that kind of shook out at the at the original uh draft lottery yeah you know i i think i think in some ways i might be uh you know in the minority here where i really felt as though the the nhl draft the nhl got it right by how they did the draft lottery under these circumstances and and how everything transpired in that phase one. I know some fans, particularly the Detroit Red Wings fans, are disappointed uh, by the results. But I think it was the only fair thing to do. And let's face it, the percentages uh, for that the final eight to maybe get that number one spot were pretty slim. So um, each team had a you know good opportunity to get that pick. We we know the Kings slid into the to the number two. The Ottawa Senators who have two top five picks, which is outstanding for this draft, have the number three selection. Um, to be honest, Amanda, I like the way things transpired. And how exciting is it now? I mean, yeah. you know, that the team that, you know, yeah, you're going to be disappointed they lose the Stanley Cup qualifier, but then you have a shot to get the number one overall pick in Alexi Lafreniere. So um, that's exciting in itself. He's Lafreniere is hands down the best player in this draft. Uh, to me, I think he'll be a franchise player. He's going to play a top six, uh, you know, he'll play on a wing on one of your top two lines to begin next season right off the bat. Uh, an extraordinary player. We've seen it, you know, you know, in Ramuski and what he did at World Juniors for Canada. So um, whatever team is, is fortunate enough to get an Alexi Lafreniere, that's going to be pretty special. I want to go jump back now to the previous answer that you had. I actually agree with you. I think a forward is probably the direction to go here. But I know that a lot of the chatter – has been defense. Devils need defense. They need to bolster defense. My opinion is that defensemen take a little bit longer to pop. And considering the amount of assets that the Devils have, they might have the ability to swing more trades like they did for a Kevin Ball, where you can get a guy from a team that's stacked with their defensive core and their defensive prospect talent, and you can give up an asset to get that guy who's now closer to contribute. But top flight, elite, good complimentary forwards star forwards are hard to get you usually get them at the top of the draft let's talk defense though is there a defensive prospect that is a can't miss number one defender that would make sense in the seventh spot no doubt about it chris uh jamie drysdale of erie and the ontario hockey league if he if he falls to number seven i think it's a no-brainer that uh, the devils um, and, you know, Director of Amateur Scouting, Paul Castron, will be chomping at the bit to, to tell Fitzy, hey, we got to take this, you know, this uh, right-handed D-man from, from, from Erie who put up some spectacular numbers, you know, 47 points in 49 games. The NHL comparisons I have gotten, Chris, and, and you know, I most recently spoke with Dan Moore, the Director of NHL Central Scouting, just about a week ago, and you know, I asked him, does, does, does Drysdale have the ability that, you know, a Quinn Hughes of Vancouver and a Kale McCarr of Colorado had in their draft eligible seasons? Now, let me preface by saying that Kale McCarr, for our fans out there, Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes are finalists for the Calder Trophy this year. And Moore told me, he said, you know, if I were to take a poll of our full-time scouts at Central, 
um, during the meeting and ask them that exact question, they would say without question uh, that Drysdale has the same type of ability of a Kale McCarr uh, and a Quinn Hughes. Uh, you know, he was just one of seven 17-year-old D-men to play for Canada at the World Junior Championship since uh, 1991. The fact that he made that team was pretty spectacular. He participated in 2020 CHL and NHL Top Prospects game, you know, recorded three points in seven games for Canada at the World Juniors. Didn't really get a lot of ice time, but that's because he's a 17-year-old player, you know, and the fact that he got that experience, no doubt that he's going to learn a lot and, and might be a part of that team in the 2021 tournament in, uh, in Edmonton and Red Deer. So he controls the game from the back end, Chris. His mobility is off the charts, an elite skater, smooth, agile, has elite instincts, great hands, knows how to get his shot through, and the skating and angles and stick position make him a real hard uh, uh, defender to beat uh, defensively. So Jamie Drysdale, to me, hands down, no question about it. I would bet my house on it. If he's there at seven, the Devils are going to make that pick. All right, so this is kind of in you know cohesion with that. We always hear in drafts like, are you going to take the best player available or are you going to pick for your need? When it comes to a particular draft like this, and Mike, you've mentioned how deep it is and you know how much talent there is, what's the best way to go? Yeah, well, when you, when you have such a talented draft such as this, that's a good question. And the reason being, Amanda, is, yeah, I mean, if you have multiple picks in the first round, you may decide to maybe take the best available with your first pick and then if you're maybe five, six picks down the road, maybe decide on a position. I can see that happening. But for right. me, um, if I'm a, you know, a central scouting director or a general manager at this draft, I always have a draft board handy. Uh, obviously, that's why you have these meetings. That's why, um, you know, the executive staffs come together and, and, and talk about these top guys and who should go where and why one player would benefit their organization more than the other. And let's face it, that's what this is about too, right? A lot of these teams, including the Devils, have had Zoom interviews with tons of these prospects already. Paul Castron has told me, uh, I guess it was almost a month and a half ago, that they had already spoken to maybe 40 or 50 prospects. So I can't imagine how long that list has, um, you know, got, got since that time. So um, I would think best available if you have, you know, one pick in that first round. But if you have multiple picks – as the Ottawa Senators do, as the Devils could, ha could have, um, I would really consider maybe going for a positional need. That being said, Devils have the number seven pick. So I would suspect, if there's not a Jamie Drysdale there, that they would go forward and more particularly wing. Um, if they do get another pick in the first round and it falls between maybe 10 and 15, well, don't be surprised if maybe they look for a goaltender of the future because it's going to take a goaltender maybe two, three, four years to progress and learn and mature and grow and develop. And, you know, when you have uh, an Askarov, Yaroslav Askarov from Russia who might be sitting there uh, at the Devils' second pick, I think that would be a spectacular pick. Now, believe me, I'm taking nothing away from Corey Schneider, nothing away from Mackenzie Blackwood. Uh, Blackwood in particular showed what he was capable of doing down the stretch for the Devils in the entire season. Um, Corey came back strong. So we know the Devils have two good goalies entering the, the, the 2021 season, but you need another goalie back there. And if you're, if you have a capability and um, I know you talked to those scouts, as I said, Amanda and, and Askarov is one of those goalies. I'm sure a lot of scouts yeah. told you that this kid is, is a carry price. You know, he's, he's, he's got the potential to be a carry price type player and, by that, I mean, you know, a franchise-type goaltender for years to come. And, you know, if you're going to build your team from the goalie out, that would be a, that would be a fantastic start to get a Yaroslav Askarov. You talk about draft boards and, you know, every team has their own version of what that looks like. But when you're making your own draft board, let's say, Mike, where are the drop-offs in terms of Lafreniere is in a league of his own in this draft class. And then how do you see sort of it falling underneath that? Is it like, you know, two to five is a certain class and then beyond that? Like, how do, how do you sort of break that up with the class that we have yeah. here? Yeah, that's, you know, 
right. Lafreniere is is number one. He, he's you know no doubt about it. The no brain pick at the, at the number one pick. But I would say Amanda maybe and you know my mind has changed. You know when I speak to scouts, when I talk to some of these prospects, and what they have to tell me as far as playing center or wing. When it comes to defensemen, when I'm talking to these kids, you know, do they like to rush the puck? Do they like to hang back? Um, I would say from numbers two through about 11, um, there could wow. be maybe perhaps a flip of a coin to who might be going. I like Quinton Byfield um, at number two. Uh, that's who I had going, uh, you know, in my, in my uh, mock draft, my most recent mock draft. Quinn Byfield probably has the highest ceiling of any prospect in this pool. Um, good size, um, plays for Sudbury, the Ontario Hockey League, and has done a phenomenal job there uh, this year and, and last year. Um, I would suspect uh, Byfield would, he, although he does, he does say he's pushing to maybe play in the NHL next season, I think another year in Sudbury would do tremendous uh, good for Byfield. Uh, goes about six four two fifteen. So um, Tim Stutzla is another player I think uh, from Germany. Um, you know this is this is a, a player. He played uh, he played wing um, in Germany in Mannheim um, in the top league there in Germany, and then he played center at the uh, World Junior Championship uh, when he represented his country. Um, so. He can play both positions. I did ask him which he prefers and where he feel, feels more comfortable. But uh, Tim Stutzla, to me, is, is a, a player very, if they're going to make it comparable, you know, a Matt Barzell type of kid with, the, with his skill set, what he's able to bring to a line, to, to, to a team. Real happy-go-lucky type of kid, too. We, we had him on our podcast uh, at NHL.com, NHL Draft Class, and just a character kid and, and is a lot of fun. He's a lot of fun in the locker room. So of course that plays a significant role too. And there are so many other prospects here, you know, going through the list, Chris and Amanda, that, you know, I really feel that, you know, I'm, I'm really not sure who would go number two. I, I think Byfield and Stutzla could go in that two, three, right, right in that role. But to be honest with you, there are a lot of other players here. So I would think, you know, teams may consider two, two through 10 um, could be a flip of a coin for a lot of these kids. Uh, I want to ask you about one name in particular. We've been doing uh, prospect profiles on NewJerseyDevils.com with some of the top names in the draft. And one that dropped recently that a lot of Devils fans seem to like was Alexander Holtz. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about him and his comparables and what you think of him as a prospect. Yeah, Alexander Holtz uh, played for Girgarden, uh, played right wing in the Swedish Hockey League. Comparisons, Chris, I, I think I'd go with a Brock Besser uh, type of player from the Canucks. He led all U18 Swedish Hockey League skaters in goals, assists, and points this season. Uh, Holtz is a sniper. Uh, he's, a, he's a scoring winger that reads the offensive situations well, always ready to shoot. Uh, real good shot selection from all areas of the ice in the offensive zone. He's strong in battles um, and has uh, and has improved his skating uh, this season, which was nice to see. He played for Sweden at the World Junior Championship. Uh, had uh, he had five points there. Uh, um, yeah, five points. It was three goals in seven games for Sweden. So um, obviously, he played a big role for for Sweden in such you know at a real high caliber tournament so that says a lot he goes about six foot 192 pounds um and he scored 16 points this year with your garden which was quite a lot nine goals and 35 games again fans may look at those stats and say geez it's not a lot but when you're a 17 year old playing against men um and when i say men you know he's up against you know players between the ages of uh 20 and 35 years old maybe more some veteran players in that league so um, I thought Alexander Holtz might be was a great player this year. He'll be a great option for anyone, again, in that maybe that five to ten range. You know, I like to – a couple of times you've said, well, don't look at those stats. You know, it's about projecting where they're going to be. And that's something that Tom Fitzgerald has said many times with uh, Amanda and I when we've talked to him is – you know, it's not my job to look at the stats and see who's the best now. I'm trying to pick the guy who's going to be the best 
years down the line. So I think that that's what this draft is all about. That's Tom Fitzgerald's philosophy. I want to ask you this, educate me. You've done a lot more studying of these guys. I want to know your surprise name in the first round, a guy that's maybe in the 20, you know, a 30 range that's low down on a lot of these mock drafts, but you would stamp your foot and say that guy's going to be something special. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do there, Chris. First, I'll give you a player that maybe, you know, some people have maybe in the, in the three to eight range. Others, I've seen mock drafts, the player, this particular player going in the 10 to 16 range, just because I watched him a lot this year. I, I, I watched a lot of video of him during the pause. Um, but Jake Sanderson, a defenseman from the National Team Development Program, who I think is projected by many to go mid-first round. Um, I think if you can get a Jake Sanderson um, at a 15, between uh, 13 and 15 or around that range, you, you've gotten yourself a steal. I really like what Sanderson was able to do for the NTDP in the United States Hockey League this year. He's a, he's a kid from Whitefish, Montana. If he does play in the NHL, he'd be the first from Montana to, to reach the NHL and play. Some NHL comparisons for Jake Sanderson, uh, Amir Heiskanen, uh, the Dallas Stars defenseman. Um, he's committed to the University of North Dakota, so he'll be going to a good program next year. Obviously, his dad, Jeff, played over 1,000 NHL games with eight teams over a 17-season career. Um, he's an elite skater, great size, strength, has a lot of pro skills, makes tape-to-tape real good passes and sees the ice so well. So I wanted to throw – Jake Sanderson's name out there because I know he'll probably be the first United States born player off the board. I think a lot of teams do like him. Do they take him? And it goes back to your question, Amanda, about taking need over uh, best available or vice versa. But I think if you have two picks, maybe you grab that forward and maybe if the devils get a, a high second pick in the first round, maybe a Jake Sanders Sanderson is a player that would be very intriguing um, for them. Um, I, I would think maybe another player, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, Connor Zary. Uh, he's a center from Cam Loops, a left-handed shot. I think he's going in that 20 to 30 range right now on most draft boards. Goes about six foot, 178 pounds from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. I think an NHL comparison for, for Zary might be a Bo Horvat, a Vancouver type of player. Really did uh, exceptionally well in the Western Hockey League, League this year. Fifth among skaters in points. Uh, tied for third among skaters in power play goals. Tied for fourth in shorthanded goals. Finished fifth overall um, in, in shots on goal. So real active player. And what I liked about him too, he's, he was remarkably consistent this season. He didn't go two straight games without a point the entire season. Real skilled, smart, can beat you one-on-one, make things happen uses his smarts against you, read the play really well, good on a penalty kill, as I said, and he's more quick than fast and, and is elusive in tight and, and real close corners and, and good, you know, real tight situations. So it was about six foot 178. He scored 86 points this year for Kamloops in 57 games, 38 goals included in that. So I like Connor Zary. Might be an under-the-radar guy in the first round. All right, so maybe on the different spectrum, I remember, you know, I believe it was last year's draft and Cole Caulfield's name kept slipping down the board and Montreal eventually picks him. And, you know, being from Montreal myself, I was surrounded by all that excitement that someone of Cole's ability was available when they were picking a little further down the board, maybe because of his size, a little bit of reservation there from other teams. Is there a guy that you can see maybe slipping down the draft board for lack of size, or maybe there's something you can pick up on there that could really be a, a, a big talent? Yeah, you know what? There, there's one player, as you were talking there, Matt, I immediately um, a player that moved from number 90 um, in NHL Central Scouting's midterm rankings mm-hmm. to number 54 in the final rankings, uh, which obviously came out in April. Um, a, a forward, Zade Widstam um, of Kingston, the Ontario Hockey League, he really started to pick up his game prior to midseason. He played on a line with Shane Wright, 
who was given exceptional status uh, and is eligible for the 2022 draft. Shane Wright will probably go number one in 20, uh, 2022. But he played on a line with Shane Wright. Uh, you know, a lot of times you could say he's putting up numbers because he's playing with one of the best players in the league, but that really yeah. wasn't the case. He, he's not afraid to go to the dirty, dirty areas, willing to get into the battles in front of the net, but he could score as well. Smart. He goes about 5'10", 195, which I think is a reason, and you, you said that, uh, that maybe he could slip a little bit. The size factor, he, you know, obviously it's, he's going to get bigger. Um, he, he's a good, he has a good center of gravity. Uh, he, he's tough to get knocked off the puck. Um, he'll more than likely bounce off of him. I know Wisdom is a guy that can play that physical type game. He's shown he has, uh, you know, the skill and talent. Some players don't know how to play with the top players, right? It, it takes a special intellect to do that. But Zade has shown this, um, particularly this season, with a uh, with the caliber of player of a Shane Wright. So Zade Whitstam is, is I, in my eyes, one of those one of my one of my favorite players in this draft who really moved up considerably to the final ranks, and I think could go if someone's able to grab him. Uh, maybe mid-second round, late-second round, it'd be a fantastic pick. It sounds very familiar, you know, to the uh, Cole Caulfield playing with Jack Hughes. And does he only mm -hmm. have those numbers because he was playing with <laughs> Jack? And so it's very familiar conversation, and we'll see what ends up happening with Cole Caulfield in the NHL in the years to come. But because of the COVID-19 pandemic, um, a lot of tournaments were canceled, and it was – a time of year where, you know, teams whose GMs and scouts weren't in the uh, playoffs, upcoming playoffs, would go out and look at these tournaments and watch these mm. prospects. So what did these prospects potentially lose out on in that? And maybe more importantly, what did the, um, you know, the management teams miss out on in this instance? Yeah, you know, the opportunity to focus scouting on players of interest based on a club's draft position was lost, and in particular with the, with the cancellation of the IIHF U18 World Championship. Uh, that was being hosted by USA Hockey in Plymouth, Michigan this year. You know, it eliminated the chance of many general managers being able to live scout, right? Like yeah. some, of these pros some of these top prospects in the world, we know – the U18 uh, is such a big tournament and, and a lot of GMs are able, particularly this season would have been able to get to Michigan to at least maybe live scout one or two days, you know, but the fact is, man, you know, all these clubs now are in the same position for draft preparation and many are, are focused on reviewing game reports and, and video of draft prospects and free agents, as well as conducting interviews uh, via the calls and, and, and those video conferences, uh, that we, uh, that we discussed earlier, but look, you know, the scouting landscape, like the entire hockey industry and global community is dealing with a, a surreal situation, uh, you know, in which the immediate future is, is really an unknown. Uh, in order to proceed with the 2020 draft, you know, central scouting, I know, and NHL clubs had to embrace various technical means to communicate remotely uh, and, and to continue to prepare for the draft. And some of these same methods that were introduced into conducting draft interviews, meetings and rankings may be incorporated for future use. Who knows? You know, maybe uh, there was some positive to come out of this as well in that regard. But, um, you know, nothing has really changed with, with regard to how NHL scouts and central scouting has gone about their business to, to, to scout these, these leagues, these players, these, these tournaments that obviously aren't happening uh, you know the Helinka is another one that was that was canceled that would have been a great spot to, to to get a jump on the 2021 uh draft eligible players but that was canceled in August so you know right now I know a lot of videos going to be used uh, obviously Europe is uh, parts of Europe have opened up so a few tournaments without fans uh, have gone gotten underway and I know there are some scouts that are able to, to to get to these tournaments so that's another option i guess for a lot of these international scouts uh, that work for nhl clubs but for the most part uh, you know you do what you can and i think everyone has done a real good job and and they had a good they had a good viewing um of the 2021 eligibles right uh, almost three quarters of the season was put in so that being said i think everyone has a good gauge as to what they want to what's available in this draft 
All right, Mike, uh, right before we let you go, just two quick ones here. First, I'd love a prediction. You're going to have one, two, or three <laughs> Devils picks in the first round. What do you think, given all these conditions on these picks? Are they going to have one, two, or three picks? I, I think they'll have two picks. Uh, I think they'll have two picks in this draft. Uh, obviously, we got number seven. I think if you can get, uh, you know, if they can get another one somewhere, that would be obviously a feather in their cap to get two picks in such a uh, such a great draft uh, and, and to get them that high. So, uh, my prediction is two picks. What do you think? What do you What do you think, Chris Amanda? What do you think? <laughs> Hey, Mike, three. Come on. Three, yeah. yeah. Well, I, tell, I tell you what, my, my heart says three because that just makes everything much more interesting for Amanda and myself, right? Yeah, it does. It does. No doubt about it. I, I guess I'll play the, you know, the devil's advocate and all the, I'll get all the, the bad tweets and you guys can get all the good tweets. How's that? <laughs> no, but it, it's true. It's also, you know, you, we've talked about how like everything's kind of up in the air and, you know, everyone's dealing with this as we come, you know, there. There'd be worse things than having two picks. Um, there's worse things than just having one. So we're, I think yep. uh, the Devils are in a good position regardless. Absolutely. No doubt and about then, it. Uh, They're going to get two, two good players for sure, no doubt. Absolutely. And, Mike, uh, one last thing. I'd love to give you an opportunity to plug the Devils fans. You're doing some great work on the draft. Obviously, they're going to enjoy this podcast and all the insights that you've given to these prospects. What, what are you doing now that you'd like some Devils fans to take a listen to or watch or read? Yeah, thanks, Chris, Amanda. So uh, last year, a colleague of mine at NHL.com, Adam Kimmelman, who, who does fantastic work with, with the prospects and uh, on all draft-eligible players as well, um, we kind of work side-by-side side leading up to the draft, which is always a good thing to have uh, someone to, to lean on, someone you can rely upon, and, and Adam has been that, does that, and um, the league asked if we could uh, if we could roll out a podcast, which was uh, early last season, and we did just that. NHL draft class. It's an NHL produced uh, podcast, and you know we're able to get uh, regional scouts from NHL Central Scouting, uh, from the Ontario League, the Western League, the United States Hockey League, uh, the Quebec League, of course, with Lafreniere uh, played this season. So we're able to get those regional scouts on and and discuss those particular leagues and which prospects to look for, not only in the first round, but in rounds that would, uh, would follow in the second through uh, seventh round. So that's always good to to learn about those guys that maybe don't get the headlines as much as some of the first round guys. And we also have a great opportunity and we usually get maybe between 10 and 15 of the the top draft eligible players uh, as guests on the podcast as well. You know, we've had, Dylan Holloway from the University of Wisconsin, who will probably be the first NCAA player off the board this year. We've had Quinton Byfield from Sudbury, who could go number two, three in this draft. We'd had Tim Stutzla of Germany, who we mentioned earlier. Obviously, we've had Alexi Lafreniere on our podcast when we were um, doing the show remotely from the CHL and HL Top Prospects game uh, this season. So a lot of good guests on the program, uh, international guests. So it's always a lot of fun just to, to shoot the breeze and talk prospects and hockey. And uh, obviously you both know this is a passion of mine. I enjoy it very much. So whenever I have the opportunity to do it, I'll take advantage of that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Mike, for joining us for our road to the draft segment on the speak of the devils podcast. We appreciate it. Have a great day, Mike. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Amanda. Stay safe. Well, Amanda, I mean, before we even talked to him, we said this guy knows his stuff. I think now Devils fans realize that as well. If they didn't already know, which they probably did. I was going to say, I think our fans are very familiar (laughs) with Mike. And, you know, it's always fun, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, to really pick his brain and understand the angles that not just he's coming from when he's interviewing and talking to these kids, but also, you know, reaching out to central scouting and different drafts, or excuse me, different scouts from different teams. He accumulates all that information and he sorts it out so well and makes it so, you know, something that everyone can understand about each player. So uh, looking forward to, you know, leaning on Mike uh, in the next couple of weeks when it comes up to leading to the draft. 
you know, he could be an expert salesman or an agent for one of these players too. Because we came, we came into this, and I, you know, the last couple of weeks as I've been doing more research on this draft, I've been forward. I, you know, elite forward. There's a lot of them at the top of the draft. With seven, take the best one that's available. Uh, you know, I'm a big proponent of you know defensemen take a while to develop. So unless there is that stud guy, you cannot say no to. I like forwards at the top of the draft. And hey, he, he talked to me. Go, Go ahead. ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to say, the way he talked about Jamie Drysdale and Jake Sanderson, now I'm like, oh, okay, okay. Defensemen, all right. I'll take a look at those guys. Well, look, at the top of the uh, podcast, I mentioned Alexander Holt, and he has me sold. And I think what in particular <laughs> is really important is because the numbers, you know, 19 points or whatever it was, doesn't sound big when you consider it in an NHL market, he breaks it down to that you have to consider where these players are, especially on the European side, playing against, you know, players who are 10, 15 years older than they are. Yeah, I, you know, and it's something that Tom Fitzgerald, he's repeated so many times that it's kind of burned into my brain is that when he looks at prospects, and he said this last year too, when he was just the assistant GM, he was, talked about how it's not their job to pick the guy who's best on the chart right today if a guy is going to be clearly the better player down the line they're going to take that guy and a lot of that is finding the transitional traits and the transitional stats that will work well in the national hockey league and make that player a star player you're picking inside the top 10 amanda you gotta hit on this pick so for if you think holtz his stats aren't great in that league, but he's going to be an elite sniper in the NHL, then that's a guy that you consider. If you think Jamie Drysdale's a number one defenseman or Jake Sanderson is a number one defenseman, then that's the trait you're going to consider. How do they you know, transition their game to the National Hockey League and how big of an impact they can make? Now, Amanda, he said so much great stuff about the draft, but also about Lindy Ruff. And, yeah. you know, I, I was very intrigued – listening to him I kind of got this I was a little pumped listening to him how he said it was the perfect fit for the New Jersey Devils you obviously want them to hit on the head coach because it makes the team more fun to cover um, but for what he said about Lindy Ruff I mean what were your opinions on that I mean I think my opinions on that have just I don't really know how to put this but essentially I was really excited when the news came out that it was going to be Lindy because of what I knew about his past what he's done in Buffalo what he did in uh, Dallas and all those things but every time I talk to whenever I talk to more and more people about it and get different people's perspectives um, I get even more excited because I learned so many new things about who he is and I think fundamentally in this conversation with um, Mike is that Lindy Ruff is someone who's constantly learning and willing to adapt and willing to understand, you know, that the generation of talent right now is not the same type of talent in terms of how you work with them from 15 years ago when he started in Buffalo. So to me, that's really encouraging. And I'm even more excited because I want to see how you know, we talk about it, let's see how we employ it, and let's see how that really benefits this group. Yeah, and one thing that Mike was saying about his ability to reach young players, and I know that there's a lot of talk about defense with the Rangers, but you look at the offensive impact those young players made yeah. under Ruff's tutelage, they're fun to watch those young prospects, the mid two thousands Buffalo teams that, that a lot of people have compared to this devil's roster coming up with just the youth and the style of player that they have. Those teams were fun to watch the Dallas stars teams coached by Lindy Ruff. Again, those teams were fun to watch. We, we listened to Mike talk about how their two best players had not broken the 70 point barrier until Ruff became their head coach. So we it's already know. The it's not by it's, accident. It, absolutely. It's not by accident. And you look at even some of the advanced stats, you know that what Ruff's going to bring as a head coach traditionally throughout the length of his career is they're going to be fun offensively to watch. They're going to be an attacking team. Uh, the, the numbers don't lie there. I'm very intrigued to see a guy like Nico Heischer and what a coach like Lindy Ruff can do to him. Because I have said all along, Amanda, and I think you've agreed with me since I've came here over a year ago, I think Nico Heischer's got that other level. Oh, he does. He does. And oh, he knows that. And, and he, he knows, knows that. that. Yeah. And, and Lindy Ruff might be the guy to unlock that. I'm really interested to see 
how that goes. Now, he also had some interesting things to say about Tom Fitzgerald. It sounds like Mike Morial thinks he's the right guy for that position as well. Well, I think a lot of people, if not everybody, think that, thinks that Fitzy is the right guy for the job. I mean, I've had the pleasure of working with Fitzy for the last three years that I've been with the club. And, you you know, who am I to say it? But, you know, you just watch how he's grown into this role so naturally. Um, it seemed like the right fit. And that's why I asked Mike about, um, you know, men our managing partners just giving him the reins right off the bat. It's not something that you see when you have an interim role. It's particularly in the G particularly as a GM. So the faith has always been there. And I appreciate, you know, the club doing their due diligence to turn over every rock. But at the end of the day, I think we all know that Fitzy is the right guy for this job, especially because he knows about so much of this young talent. He was the GM of the Binghamton Devils. He was the one who formulated that team. He has his pulse. Uh, or, yeah, he has a pulse on this team right from the beginning. Absolutely. Great insight there from you, Amanda. Excellent insight from Mike Moriel. So happy to have him as a podcast guest uh, on Speak of the Devils. And uh, we're going to enjoy having Matt Lachlan come back on. But uh, for this episode, uh, Chris Westcott hosting with alongside you, Amanda. Thank you so much. We'll miss you next time. <laughs> <laughs> no, you won't. Matt's going to be back and everyone's going to be happy. That's okay. But no, great episode. Uh, appreciated talking hockey with Mike Moriel. And we'll see you next week on Speak of the Devils.